This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. So uh, this week is beginning of spring break. Next week, uh, 121 students will be here. Uh, they're doing most of the, the heavy lifting as far as setup and tear down goes. 121 Church, Community Church is a church that uh, we came from up in Grapevine. Uh, and so their student pastor, Jermaine, is still one of my best friends. And so they have been coming the last few years over spring break. They do a little service project somewhere in the town and they hang out with us and um, help us set up, tear down, and do a lot of the heavy lifting, uh, which is nice. Uh, Jermaine will also be, be preaching next week. Uh, which, is, which I love to hear from him. And then after that, we'll start our series called God's Design um, and really just asking the question of what is God's design for human relationships and, and sexuality and really thriving. Um, if, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, uh, then, then we want to look to him. Uh, okay, what is your way? Like, how, how have you made us? What is the, the path that you, you call us to? Um, and, and I'll say this now, you'll hear it probably multiple times, maybe every sermon, um, but, but the way that, that our culture tells us to live, the, the way that they lay out the path is to embrace self, um, and the way of Jesus is to deny self and embrace Jesus, right? And so the way of the culture is embrace self, whatever you want, you are your own truth, embrace self, the way of the Bible, the way of Jesus is actually to deny yourself and in so doing find life um, and embrace Jesus. And so uh, you'll hear that over and over and over again uh, because that is the crux of uh, the Bible. That's the crux of really every topic. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about uh, authority and uh, what is our authority. We'll talk about what is our purpose, generally speaking. Uh, and then we'll, we'll jump into uh, God's design for singleness, God's design for um, marriage and sexuality, uh, one man, one woman, homosexuality. Uh, we'll talk about transgender um, and our identity as gender. We'll talk about uh, God's design for sex. Um, what is the, the way that he's designed it? What is the right um, approach to have about it? We're just going to jump in it all. Uh, and so um, just be praying for that. As you know, you, you may have even now begun to feel a little sense of um, even resistance or controversy. Um, and so it, it is a culturally controversial conversation, which is part of the problem, is we've, we've forgotten how to be humans and just have conversations and even disagree with people and, and not have to kill each other, um, which is stupid. Uh, th thank you, Thomas. Come on, we got some in the back there. Here we go. Um, we have to learn as people, and, and we as a church have to model first how we can sit down and have a conversation and even disagree and yet still stand up and love each other. Like, that's okay. Um, and so um, th that'll be part of the challenge, though, is that it, it just comes packed with emotion. Um, and so I'm just telling us now, be praying for that um, and be praying for, uh, if you would, be praying for me as I, as I study and read. I've got a, just a stack of books that Stephanie makes fun of me for because I walk in a coffee shop and I got this stack of books and it's like God and the gay Christian, you know, holy sexuality. And it's just like this list of things on like, and, and it's like, what are we doing here? Um, and so... But just be praying that the Holy Spirit would speak in, in a place that right now I would say the enemy has a stronghold in our culture. Um, and so just be praying for that, uh, that upcoming series. Ultimately, 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 that we would be a people that deny self and embrace Jesus, whatever that is. Uh, that we would be willing to say, all right, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Here, I give you everything. So that's the, that's the prayer, that's the hope. Uh, third John today. Uh, how many of you have read Third John recently? Yeah, me too. <laughs> it was, it was like, was that a like, yeah, maybe, maybe perhaps, perhaps. Yeah, uh, Third John, uh, Second and Third John. First John is oft read, oft. That's fun to say. Is oft read and quoted. Second and Third John, not so much, right? Um, couldn't have told you anything about Third John other than perhaps probably John wrote it. Uh, that was about all I could have told you about 3 John before studying this. So uh, I'm excited to, to go through it, to read it, um, and to preach through an entire book of the Bible in one Sunday. Uh, that will feel very, uh, very accompl accomplishing, like an accomplishment. Thank you, Brandon. Brandon I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what we're clapping for, um, like that I'm going to get through it or not, but we'll, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll take it. All right, let's read the book. 3 John. 
Starting verse 1, because that's where you tend to start when you're reading a book. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. God, this is your word. We, um, we choose to trust it and to submit our lives to you. God, by your spirit, would you speak to us? Your words are living and active. They are not ancient texts for then and there, but they are alive for here and now today. And so would you speak to us by your word? May we hear you and know what you desire for us. In Jesus we ask, amen. When I was reading this, it, I see verse 11 as kind of the theme of, of John's letter to, to Gaius. Imitate good, don't imitate evil. Right? As people, um, humanly speaking, we are imitators, right? Like we, I, I, you know, I, I, I believe that many of you are creators. You've probably created many original things in your life, but, but I'm guessing very few of you have sewn your own clothes today, which means we're imitating the trends of, of others. Um, the, the only reason that we would be wearing clothes from the 90s again is pure imitation, right? Like someone was like, hey, fanny packs, they're cool. And guess what? We just flip it on top of the shoulder, we got a whole new product. It's just a fanny pack, y'all. It's just over the shoulder now, you know? Only reason we would wear that is imitation, right? The food that we eat, right? Like, yeah, someone created and then we imitate. You know, the words that we speak. How many times have you started saying things and, and you might go visit your folks and they're like, what are you saying? You're like, oh, well, apparently all my friends talk this way and so now we're just kind of imitating. Like, we are naturally imitating people, creatures, Right, babies. We have several new boys, all boys around here um, in this church. And, and maybe you're starting to see it now. Maybe not. I don't remember the age. But they start imitating what you, you do. Right? They, they're going to mimic you. They start talking like you. They start acting like you. Right? Like that's why you, you might hear the, oh, just a chip off the old block. Right? Or, or my mini-me. Um, anybody ever see Austin Powers? Is that movie too old? I just thought about that right now. Mini-me. Like, <laughs> there you go. Right, but th there are many me because they imitate us, you know? And so as adults, we still imitate. We imitate people that we value. We imitate people that we respect, uh, that we look up to, that are maybe a few steps ahead of us and we want to follow in their footsteps. We naturally imitate. But, but as adults, we, versus a newborn, that you don't really get a choice. You just kind of imitate what's around you. As adults, we get a choice of who and what we imitate, like we can choose not to imitate some things and some people. We can choose not to follow some trends and some pathways that are laid out ahead. We can choose not to imitate the masses and the majority. We can choose to go against the, the grain of things, right? We can choose what we imitate. And, and so my, my question for us to be considering throughout this letter is, who or what are you imitating? We are imitating Yes, you may be creating things along the way, but you are also imitating. Who or what are you imitating? Is it good or, or is it evil? And, and perhaps a more convicting question would be, 
if people are imitating you, what are they imitating? Right? If someone were to follow you around and observe your life and then mimic what you do, what you say, how you live, would you be proud of what they're mimicking? Would you be like, yes, God, here you go. I present to you this person that imitates me. You will be proud. We are imitators, and people will imitate us. What are we imitating? Is it good, or is it evil? Is it godly, or is it of the world? That's the, John writes this letter to Gaius to affirm the good that he's doing, the good that he's imitating, and also to encourage him to continue to imitate good, even with the, the scoundrel like Diotrephus around, trying to point him in the other direction, trying to lead people towards evil. All right, and so we see in, in verse one, John the elder, that's another word for, for pastor, is writing to his beloved Gaius, whom he loves in truth. Sincerely, he's got an affection for this person. We don't know the backstory, right? We don't know, you know how they interacted, what that looked like, but at some point, John w- was the, the spiritual leader of, uh, for Gaius. Now, he was the spiritual father, the spiritual parent. He's a few steps ahead. He, he pastored him, he led him, and he's writing this letter in, in sincerity and purity of heart. It would be like, like me writing a letter to you, right? Like me, me as the, the pastor writing a letter to one of you or to one of my former students. It's this personal letter that he's writing to, to Gaius. And we see in verse two through four that he is jacked to be writing this letter. Right? He says, I, I pray that all may go well with you and you may be in good health as it is with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. This is not a letter that John is begrudgingly writing. Like he is pumped to write this letter to Gaius. What's he excited about? What is, what is John so excited about? What does it say? I rejoiced greatly to hear that you are walking in the truth. There's no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth, that you're staying the course. That even though there's, there's some who have gone astray, even though you've got leaders like Diotrephus who are trying to lead you astray, you are walking in the truth. You're staying the course. So, so what does it mean then for Gaius to be walking in the truth? What does it mean for you and me to be walking in the truth? To, to walk in the truth, a life walking in the truth is a life, biblically speaking, of one who has trusted in Jesus and is ongoingly, yes, it's a word, following the path of Jesus. If John is right in what he writes, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus is the embodiment of what is true and what is right. So to walk in the truth is a person who submits to that truth, who trusts in Jesus, and then is progressively following in the way of Jesus, walking in the path of Jesus. It doesn't mean that Gaius is perfect. It doesn't mean that he's not gonna stumble. It doesn't mean that he's not gonna, you know, stray off a little bit, but overarching, like the, the, the direction of someone's life, of Gaius's life, of, of your life and my life, if walking in the truth is in following the way of Jesus, staying the course. And John is pumped for that. Because he, he knows, as well as you know, how many of you can think back to friends, family members from, from high school, college, whatever, that, man, they were following Jesus, and now you look at it today, and you're like, I don't know what's going on anymore. Right? They, they've strayed away. They've completely gone the other direction. They, they've walked away from their faith. Right? I, I, I would say half, if not over half of my friends from high school are not actively following Jesus. The, the, the people in college that I walked with, there's a good number that are not actively following Jesus anymore. All right, John, John knows the reality of that. That there's many who, for whatever reason, are, are going to walk away. 
And, and as every good parent knows, they, they, they want to see their children prosper. They want to see their children thrive. Right? If you're a parent, there's nothing more than you want than to see your children do well in life. You probably know that for your parents, that ultimately, whether they were good parents or not, whatever you'd call them, deep down, they want to see you do well. And it's the same thing spiritually. There's nothing that John desires more than to see those spiritual children, those younger than him in his faith, continuing to follow the course and stay the course and thrive in Jesus, to walk in the truth. I, I feel like I, I can relate to this because that is my desire. Like, that's what I want for, for y'all, is to walk in the truth. I know that many of you might be thinking, like, I, I took this job for the lucrative paycheck. Um, I didn't. I didn't. That's not it. And you might think, well, you took this job because you only work one day a week um, on Sunday. That's a joke. I have to work not to work seven days a week. <laughs> this role is quite candidly, not the easiest job. Working with people, fickle people, that you really can't, like, you can't make anybody, like, love God more. You can't, like, it's, it's sometimes just straight up brutal, right? The joy that John gets, the, the joy that, that I can sincerely say I get is seeing the lights come on and people get it. Is, is genuinely seeing people a month, a year, five years later. Like I, had, I texted one of my former students and I was just like, hey, you know, how, how, many, how many of like your, your class, your friend group do you think are still following Jesus? And, and she texted back a, a, a lot of them. And I was like, that is hot dog. Whew. You know, it, you feel like it mattered. Rather, the, the, the effort you put into it, I'm like, you ever led anything and, and then like, it's like nobody gets this. What's the point? Teachers, oh my gosh, teachers. Right, you're teaching a class and you're like, I think that they walked out of my class and forgot everything that I just spent my life trying to teach them. Right, they come back in the fall and they're like, how do you add? Like, what did I just do all last year? You know, like, it's, it's John's joy to see his, his children, his spiritual children, staying the course and walking in the truth. Like, it really is his joy. And, and so here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Today, if there's someone in your life that has invested in you spiritually, will you text them and just say thank you? And, and just tell them, hey, thank you for your investment. I'm still following Jesus and you played a part in that. It, it will matter to them. It, 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 will, it, will, it will mean, it will be their greatest joy to hear that the investment that they poured out is that you're still following the truth. That's the greatest application I can give of that. It's just to know that there are people who care deeply about your spiritual lives and, and, and who are laboring and sacrificing for your growth and for you to know the Lord. And so just shoot him a little message. If you like to handwrite a note, hand, handwrite a note. That's wild. It's wild. You may, they maybe get one of those little ink stamp things, like that wax, get your signet ring. Everybody has a signet ring, right? So just do, just do that. Shoot him a little note, tell him thank you. Let him know how you're doing and how their investment has played a part in where you are today. John is pumped to see that Gaius is walking in the truth. He's walking in the truth. There's people that care about you deeply, that want to see you thrive in Christ. So what then specifically does John affirm him for? Like, what is the evidence that the brothers, it says in, in verse three, have come and testified that, that Gaius is walking in the truth? What is it that the brothers have said? Like, what, what is their, their message uh, that they told John? Verse five, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. The same, the same brothers, right? Strangers as they are, 
who testified to your love before the church. Right? There's these brothers that, that we learn are strangers to Gaius. What they are is they are, they're missionaries. They're traveling preachers. They're, they're church planters that have come back and they told John, hey, this Gaius dude, we wouldn't be here without him. His love, they're testifying to the church in Jerusalem of his love for one another. And John says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So, so here's what's going on. Let's, let's back up and grab the whole, the whole story of God real quick. So Acts 1, verse 8. I think we have the, the verse. So you don't have to turn there. Um, Acts 1, verse 8. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. Jesus has come and he's lived and he's died and he rose from the dead. And this is his last like conversation with the disciples before he ascends to heaven. And he tells them, he tells his, the, the fledgling church, the first followers of Jesus post his resurrection. He says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you, Peter and John and, and Stephen, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. God's heart from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22-ish, God's heart has been that all people in all places at all times would have an intimate relationship with him. Not just some like cognitive, ethereal, good thought, but like a God. Here's the deal. I was just thinking this as we were singing. Like what would you do if all of a sudden, like, God just showed up here, what would your response be? If, if he just, like, was like, hey, here I am, how, how, would, how would our singing, how would our focus, how would our attention change? And I think that because, because I think I'd be like, holy smokes, right? We see in the Bible when people encounter the glory of God and they're like, I'm done, I'm dead, like, just kill me now. Right, like there would be a, a and yet the Bible teaches that His Holy Spirit is among us, so He is here, He is present among us. That's why we're not just singing songs to a screen or like with one another. No, no, no. we're singing these songs to God who is with us. That's a wild difference. It is a complete different perspective for how we approach. Like God is talking to us through these words. Okay, so God's aim for you and for me and for all of, all of history has been that, that we would know him and have a personal relationship with him. That's what happened in Genesis 1 and 2. God creates Adam and Eve, and they're walking with God. They're living life in the presence of God all the time, all the time. And he's like, hey, go have babies and fill the earth with, with generations that will walk with me and know me, and, and I will be they're God and they will be my people and we will have a relationship together. That's God's design, right? Genesis 3, we've talked about this so many times, everything goes awry. Because Adam and Eve decide, hey, we're gonna do our own thing, right? Like we know, God, that you are the way, the truth, and the life and you tell us to trust you and to follow you and that that's where life is found, but maybe not so much, I'm gonna do my own thing. And I can't simultaneously follow God that way and simultaneously follow myself this way. And so Adam and Eve, by their own sin, walk away from God, build an obstacle of, of enmity, of hostility between them and God. And so this purpose has shifted from walking in that intimacy to a rescue and restoration, a bringing humanity back into relationship with God. That's what we get from Genesis 3 on. Jesus is the way that that restoration happens. By his perfect life, he lives the life we were supposed to live that none of us have measured up to. Christian or not, everybody agrees, yeah, I've messed up at some point. O only a, like probably a clinical deranged psychopath thinks I've never messed up. We, we know, we know, 
right? And so Jesus lives that record we're supposed to live. Then on the cross, he takes our record of debt, Colossians 1, it says, and nails it to the cross. And in his resurrection, he stands alive in Acts 1 and today and offers us that exchange. Hey, if you trust me, believe in me, I will take your sins away. I will destroy the wall of sin that separates you from God and I will restore you back into a relationship with God. I will reconcile that relationship. So that's the purpose of Jesus is to reconcile us into a relationship with God. That's the, that's the purpose of God for all of humanity. But then when Jesus ascends to heaven in Acts 1.8, he says, okay, now you live as my ambassadors, making my appeal to those around you. He, he passes the torch to Peter and to John and to Nathan and to Philip and, and to Mary and to Mary and to the other Mary. There's a lot of Marys, right? He passes the torch to them and he says, hey, this message of reconciliation that I brought to you, I'm gonna give you my spirit so that you can then continue that testimony. 2 Corinthians 5 says, for all who are in Jesus, you are an ambassador for Jesus, Right, so if you trusted Christ when you were eight, you became an eight-year-old ambassador for Christ, a representative. Right, that's wild to think about. It's like, don't you have to be like 27 and maybe have a master's degree or something? Like, no. To be an ambassador for Jesus, you just have to have his Holy Spirit, of which he gives when we trust him. So here's the deal. If you are a Christian, answer this question for yourself are you a Christian? You don't have to answer it out loud, just for your own self. Okay, are you a Christian, yes or no? If your answer is no, let me invite you to trust Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the, the reason we, we're created to know him and to walk with him. That is, that is why you are here, is to know him and to make him known. If your answer is yes, I am a Christian, then you are his ambassador his representative. And it's by you and by me that he wants us to witness and to take the name of Jesus from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. So it began, the church, and the, the spread of the name of Jesus began in Jerusalem. Jesus is having this conversation in Acts 1 in Jerusalem with the first church, 120 it says, 120 people started the Christian church. And he says, hey, we're not just going to stay in Jerusalem. We're going to go outside to Oklahoma, which is a foreign land, right? Arkansas, come on. We're getting crazy. We're going to go to Judea. Then we're going to go to Samaria, maybe Canada. I mean, come on, what a more beautiful place in Canada, right? Well, except for the really cold parts. That's just nuts. To the ends of the earth. Right, so that's the, the idea. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And praise God that he had the ends of the earth in mind because guess what? We are the ends of the earth. We, United States of America, not Jerusalem. Not Judea. Shocker, not Samaria. We are the ends of the earth. Praise God that he has vision set on the whole world. Otherwise, we'd be on the outside looking in. And so how does his message spread? You will be my witnesses. You will take the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And so it starts in Jerusalem. In Acts 8, a man by the name of Stephen is killed because he wouldn't relent for his faith in Jesus. And a great persecution spread among Christians. There was a man by the name of Saul that literally was arresting and executing Christians. Later, he would be confronted with Jesus, trust Jesus, and he would be called Paul and write two-thirds of the New Testament. Wild transformation. So if you're like, there's no place for me with Jesus, if Paul makes it, we can make it, okay? So, so there's a wild persecution that takes place, and it says in Acts 8.1 that, that everybody fled Jerusalem except the apostles, 
all the professional Christians, all the pastors, all the people on church staff stayed in Jerusalem. The, the spread of the gospel, the spread of the church, the reason you and I know of Jesus is because unnamed everyday men and women decided that they would take the name of Jesus with them to the town that they moved to. The majority of the church flees Jerusalem as refugees. They are forced out of their home because they will be killed. It's not the most comforting and easiest way to leave home and start a new home. And yet they go to Judea and Samaria and they take the name of Jesus with them. Why? Because they are ambassadors for Jesus. They are representatives of Jesus. And they tell their new neighbors about this person Jesus and how they can have forgiveness of sins in a life with God by faith in Jesus and, and people in Antioch and people in Galatia and people in Ephesus, they start trusting Jesus and they're like, shoot, we got a church on our hands. We need some pastors, we need some elders. And they start raising up elders and they, that's how the church spread. It wasn't, hey, let's go start a church and hopefully we can invite people in. It was, hey, let's move to this town and tell people about Jesus and then a church will form. Part of the problem with the, the American church, and I would even venture to say our church, I would do it differently if I was starting over, is that we, we want to go and create this church and hope that we'll attract people in rather than just go in there and tell people about Jesus and trust that God will build up his church. And so we have no emphasis, no, no commitment, no, no conviction to, to spread the name of Jesus. We just hope that the institution will be attractive enough and that maybe people will want to come. But the message of Jesus, of, of the, the New Testament, is that you are his ambassador. You are his ambassador. There are people in your life I will never get the influence or opportunity to meet. But God's put you in their life to be an ambassador of Jesus. We don't get to, to opt out of that. We don't get, God, give me heaven, but I'm gonna pass the, the, the role of ambassador onto someone else. That's not an option. Listen to me. I, I feel close enough with, 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 with you. We gotta get off our lazy butts. We just gotta stop. We, we gotta stop being quiet about the name of Jesus. I'm not saying go be an idiot and go like hold up a, a sandwich board sign and yell with a bullhorn. I, mean, I see people like that and all they're doing is pushing people away from Jesus. No, no, no. We gotta go love people well and walk with them and speak the hope of Jesus to them. It, it's, not, it's not an option. But I'll be honest, we are terrible with it. it, it this is how the message of Jesus goes to all people in all places, to the ends of the earth. So this is what's happening in the New Testament. Now the challenge for people that, that would go out to the Gentiles and go out to the ends of the earth is that they are pioneering new, new territory. They don't have support. So in Acts, I think it's 13, Paul and Barnabas get sent out from the church in Antioch to go and spread the name of Jesus in new towns and start new churches. The problem is they're going to a new town where there's not support. They don't have community. They don't have encouragement. And bottom line, they don't have money to pay their bills. They don't have a church home that is, that is tithing and giving to support their pastor. They're on their own. And so the way that these missionaries and these church planters would literally, tangibly be able to do the work that God had called them to was that their, their church back home in Antioch or their church with Gaius would sacrificially give above and beyond to help pay their support, to help give their encouragement. That's what's happening with Gaius and these brothers. They're coming back and they're reporting to John. They're like, man, if it wasn't for Gaius, we'd be in trouble. 
But thank God for Gaius and others like him who are supporting us as we go to the Gentiles where there is no support so that the name of Jesus can, can spread. Most people are, are gonna stay in Antioch or wherever this church is. They don't even tell us. Most people aren't going to be called to go to the new territory, to the Gentiles. But if they're not called to go, they're darn sure called to support and send so that everyone is a part of building the kingdom of God and spreading the name of Jesus, whether you're going or whether you're sending. And that's what Gaius is doing, is he's giving generously. He's welcoming in these strangers, these people that he doesn't even know. He's welcoming, welcoming them in as part of his family and when you're family, you take care of your family. When you're family, you provide support and what is needed. And he's sending them out in a manner worthy of God. That's what it says here, right? In verse six, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. John's saying, yes. You are sending them out in a manner worthy of God, and that is a good thing. You'll do well to do that. So what does it mean for Gaius to send them in a manner worthy of God? What would it mean for you and me to send in a manner worthy of God? Well, how did God send? God sent in humility. Jesus did not have to come to earth. Right? It, it was his right. He was in the right to remain on his throne in heaven. And yet in humility for the good of others... God the Father sent Jesus the Son. So God sends in humility for the good of others. The focus is the good of others outside of us. Gaius is sending for the good of the Gentiles, for the, for the salvation of those who have not heard, in humility, that they would know, that these people that I'll never interact with, that they will know. God sends generously. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says that you know the grace of our Lord. That though he was rich, made himself poor so that we who were poor could become rich. Right? God is generous in his gifts for us. Or he takes on our junk, our sin, so that we could be made the righteousness of God. He takes on the burden he takes on the sacrifice. He takes on the weight so that others could have life, so that we could have life. That's how, that's how God sends. And that's how Gaius is sending. Generously giving of his own 401k, giving of his own income, giving of his own food, opening up his home, right? He is generously giving so that others could be supported as they take the name of Jesus to the Gentiles and by that way, we are fellow workers for the truth. The fact of the matter is, this, this is our story. For, for Charlie and myself and Stephen and, and Jared at this point, right, he's not there anymore. The only way I mean, the church can continue. The only way that we continue is by the support of people outside of this church who literally help fund our salary. My salary is paid 40% from ALC, right? There's four kids, one that's like sniffing on the doorsteps of stinking college, right? Like, the, the, we, it doesn't happen without the generosity of people outside of this body who are contributing to the spread of the name of Jesus in this body simply by writing a check. Well, no one writes a check anymore. Giving online, right? And that has happened for generations. The church that we came from, they were supported financially from a church in Florida that sent them there, right? We can trace it all the way back so when we move here to start this church, A, there's not a church that, that could support our, our tangible needs. Five years later, 
There's not a church body that can internally support our tangible needs, and that's okay. That's all right, because God is providing by those who are like Gaius and are supporting us so that the name of Jesus can spread into a city of which 90 plus percent don't follow Jesus and need the name of Jesus. So, so we exist. We are here because of people like Gaius. As a church, we are committed to planting new churches. We are committed to supporting pastors who are starting new churches so that the name of Jesus may spread beyond us. And so a portion of our income, our tithe, goes back out to support church planners. A portion of our church tithe goes into this savings account that when we send our own church plant, we have some money that we can give them so that they can eat and pay their rent and, and, and actually live in a new city and be supported. And when we send that church, we will ask our fellow Gaiuses to also support their family as they go because most of you aren't going to be called to go start a new church or to be a missionary to the ends of the earth. Although I do think we should ask. I do think God will surprise you if you actually put your yes on the table and say, God, my answer is yes, if you tell me to. I do think God will surprise some of us. But most of us, he's gonna ask you to set roots here, but to also then send people out. Just like Gaius did with these brothers so that the name of Jesus can go to those who haven't heard. That's what's happening. And John's like, yes! Because let's be honest. How, one of the, one of the places that I think we, we most misrepresent Jesus is with Generosity. And I think that our, our American Western culture ha has told us that, has taught us that the way we, we handle money is to put 15% of 401k, which is not necessarily wrong. That's not sinful. But I'm just saying that I think that we do that before we consider being generous with others. And we don't, we don't take God at his word, which says, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. I'll take care of tomorrow for you. I'm just as guilty. Like, I'm not, like, I, I think that it's a challenge for us. Money, finances have always been a challenge for me. Get anxious about it and worried about it. I want to make sure things are all buttoned up. And, and, and what if God's like, hey, didn't I tell you I'll take care of tomorrow? Which he has. And what if God's like, why don't you just trust me with that, dude? Why don't you just trust me? We'll figure out college when college comes around. Again, I'm not saying, there's no like prescription. You're not gonna find a verse that says, here's how you break down your budget, but you are gonna find a generous God who calls us to be generous. And it's us before the Lord asking him, all right, what does generosity look like here? How, how are you calling us to welcome people into our lives and into our homes as family and for us to support them so that they can go and spread the name of Jesus? That, that is a calling for us in the scripture. How that breaks down, that's between us and the Lord, but, but I do think that we as an American Western self-sufficient, I wanna make sure I'm taken care of and, and these people are taken care of, we, we lean less on God to take care of us and we trust in ourselves to take care of us. And, and thus we are less generous as a whole. John is just praising Gaius, well done. And I'll make this next part quicker. He's also rebuking, what was his name? Diotrephus, for the evil that he is doing. He says that he's written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who Diotrephus was either the lead pastor or one of the elders, one of the leaders of the church, because he has the power apparently to excommunicate people from the church, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. 
So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Like we read that and we're like, what kind of pastor is that? And yet, it happens all the time. Like there is church leadership abuse and power hunger and, and they get this power and they're like, I can do whatever I want. This happens way too often. And John's saying, here's the evil not to imitate. Here's the evil that that we don't want to imitate. So what is the evil that we're not to imitate? One is is a pastor, a leader, a person who puts himself first. Right? That is never celebrated in the scripture. Hey, put yourself first. Well done. Well done. Why? Because Jesus didn't put himself first. If the way of Jesus, if the truth of Jesus is sacrifice, is humility, is selflessness, at what point would putting ourselves first ever be celebrated as good? It's evil, it's wickedness. And so we, we're not to imitate selfishness. We're not to imitate putting ourselves first. We're not to model that for others to imitate. He's like, no, no, don't. this guy's wicked, he's evil. He's putting himself first. First, put the spotlight on me. Rather, John the Baptist is one to imitate who says, no, 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 he must increase, I must decrease. That's one to imitate. The decrease of self for the increase of Christ. But not putting himself first. We see that he puts himself first because he refuses the authority of the apostles. He refuses to submit to the leadership of others. He doesn't want anybody else telling him what to do. Right? No, no, I, I know best. I know what's right. I know that I'm, I'm in charge. Don't tell me what to do. Come on, how many of us hate it when someone tells us what to do? <laughs> You're just like, all right, we will fight. Let's go. Like, we will straight throw down right here. Like, there's something within us that does not want to submit to authority. It's the, it's the origin of sin of Adam and Eve. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't want to submit to the authority of God. I know you said don't eat of this fruit, but hey, I think it looks pretty good. I got this. It's evil. It's evil. He refuses to submit to authority. You ever go to a church where the, the leader refuses to submit to the counsel of others, refuses to hear from others, has this I'm at the top and no one else can tell me what to do? Then a, confront, help, help draw out that blind spot, and then B, if there's no repentance, I'd say move on. It's a leader that you don't want to follow. We also see with Diotrephus, he slanders, but he refuses to welcome the brothers. He refuses to support these missionaries and church planters. Why? We don't know exactly, but for someone that puts himself first to welcome and support others means to give of oneself, to give of their budget, to not be able to add on to this church building or not be able to do this, or ultimately it it diminishes his kingdom in order to expand God's kingdom. It's really difficult to build up your own kingdom if you're giving to the expanse of another kingdom. And so he refuses to welcome the brothers, and not only that, he uses his power and authority to manipulate and bully and excommunicate church members who do want to support the expansion of God's kingdom. We just see this evil that puts himself first and wants to build up his own kingdom that we are not to imitate. It's not the good that we should follow. And it runs deep, that selfishness and that pride and that I want to put myself first. It runs deep, but we are to kill it and crucify it because it is poison from hell that will destroy us. We're not to imitate that, but beloved, imitate what is good. John says, he just reinforces that message. He affirms him for how he is doing good. He, he cautions him to not imitate evil, what we see in Diotrephus, and then he tells him again, do what is good, imitate what is good. Demetrius is someone that you can follow. We don't get a whole lot about Demetrius. Apparently he carried the letter 
to, to John. That's what most assume why he's referenced here is because he's, they, they didn't have the USPS or, or whatever. Like literally someone will have to carry a letter. And so Demetrius is most likely the person delivering the letter and John's like, hey, he's someone you can imitate. Right? He, his, his character is good. He, his testimony stands up with truth itself. You hold up the, the scripture, the truth of scripture, and you hold his life to it, it's gonna match up. He's someone you can imitate. So if you're looking for someone you can imitate, you hold up the scripture and you say, does this person's life overarchingly imitate scripture? Are they moving in the right direction? Okay, that's someone to imitate. Now I know a challenge, especially in a city like Austin where it's a pretty young city and a church like Austin Life where it's a pretty young church is we're like, okay, who do I look to to imitate? Right? There's, there's not a whole lot of older people, which we are actively praying for them. So if your parents want to move here, we would love to have them. Um, we would love some maturity and some wisdom uh, ahead of us. But, but listen, we can't control that. We can't control who comes or who doesn't come as part of the tyranny of, of this work, right? You can't control it. But what you can control is you. I can't control me. We can control if we are a person to be imitated or not. We can control if we would be the good that John says, hey, imitate this person. Or if we would be the evil that John says, no, 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 no. And so that's my encouragement for us. May we imitate what is good and may we be the good to be imitated. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, follow me as I follow Christ. It actually says imitate, imitate me as I imitate Christ. If we set our sights on imitating the way of Jesus, we can guarantee that we will be a people worthy of being imitated because they're just following Jesus. Imitate what is good. Be generous. Support and send. And by that, we are fellow workers with the expanse of the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth, to all people in all places. For his glory, for the good of the world. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.